Hello, everybody. I'm Harrison. And I'm Rachel. This week, we're talking about the rest of our hospital stay after Edison's birth. So stay tuned and join us on our journey to meet Meet baby Baby H. In our last episode, we shared Edison's birth story. He was born on August 26, 2022, and weighed 7 pounds and 5 ounces. As amazing as it was to meet our baby, the first few days of his life were pretty frustrating for both of us. As we've been reflecting back, there are so many things that we wish would have happened differently, but as first-time parents, we were just taken advantage of. This story is not going to be the most fun thing to listen to, and we're pretty upset with quite a few events that happened, but all of it is part of Edison's story, and we really feel like we need to share the lessons that we've learned so that other people maybe won't have the same issues. Edison was born at 10.52 p.m. after 24 hours of labor. And immediately they placed him on my chest because he let out a nice big cry and the doctors determined that he was stable enough that they didn't need to take him over to the warmer and do any kind of evaluation. We were really happy that they were able to do this because we were kind of expecting that as soon as he came out, they'd need to take him over to the station and do a couple of checks on him and just make sure everything was okay. But none of that had to happen at all. They put him right on Rachel's chest, and we had requested that they do delayed cord clamping about up to five minutes. And they weren't able to wait that entire five minutes, but they were able to wait more than what they usually do. The first thing that both of us thought was that he looked like me, which was very surprising because the genes on Harrison's side of the family are very strong. And so this whole time, we've been expecting Edison to look like Harrison. But for some reason, when he was this like wet, sloppy, floppy thing that just came out of me, he looked a lot like me. It was really weird to see him for the very first time because you see a lot of pictures of newborns and very little kids, but you never see them in that state. Nobody is there taking a picture right after they're born. And so there's a lot of things that are just Not what I was expecting. He's got all of this like white goop on him all over the place. His head is much more cone-shaped than what you would think because he just came out this very narrow tube. I was very surprised that I didn't cry. I think I was just so in shock by the whole process and that the actual vacuuming part happened so quickly and now he was here and I was just relieved that it was over that I didn't really think like, oh, this is my son. Like he's here, he's on my chest. I was just like, thank goodness that is over. (laughs) They put him on Rachel's chest for quite a while and just let him sit there. He was really, really close to Rachel's head. So it would have been hard for her to see him. But I was able to stand by the bedside the entire time and just look at the two of them. And That moment is just something that's really special, and there's not really a good way to describe it at all, but there was so much stuff going on in the room, but you just kind of forget about everything, and in that moment, you're just thinking about your new little family. The NICU specialist was there with a stethoscope listening to Edison's heart and lungs and just making sure that as time went on that he was still stable enough to stay there on my chest. And after a couple minutes, she kind of left us alone and let us just be. He had a lot of 
dark black hair and his head was just very like stretched out from the vacuum. That is really, really normal to have happen. And what we also were expecting with a vacuum is him to have this circle spot on his head that basically would look like a big blood blister. And fortunately, it didn't really look like that at all. He just had this little red circle on his head. The doctors actually described it as looking kind of like a hickey. And they said that this is a very good looking spot for a baby that was just born with a vacuum and that they think that it would go away within the next couple of days. All while this was happening, the OB and midwife that were there from my practice were working on my stitches. So I had a second degree perennial tear, which is a very normal type of tear to get. But then I also had a labial tear because of the vacuum. And then I was also doing this sheet pull with Harrison during the last couple pushes of birth that I was leaning to my left side. And so Edison kind of came out sideways. There's a lot of things that can cause tears, and it's really not something that you should worry about in the labor and delivery process. Sometimes it just happens. And for us, after the fact, the sheet pole probably did cause this tear on the left side, but that is what had to happen to get him out. So we don't really regret any of that process because it caused a tear. It just is what happened for him to get here. And honestly, I was expecting to tear going into it because that's just what happens. I know it doesn't happen to everybody, but it happens to almost everybody. So I just kind of had it in the back of my mind before he was even born that, yeah, I'm probably going to tear and it's going to be fine. People recover from that. Shortly after they had Rachel all stitched up and things had kind of calmed down in the room, the NICU doctors asked if they could take Edison to go ahead and get him weighed and just take care of the really early stuff that they have to do for him. So basically, there was this little bed thing that was in our room the entire time we were there that they put him in, they zeroed it out, and they were able to tell us how much he weighed. And he weighed seven pounds and five ounces. And to me, the most awkward part about this is they asked me to like get my phone so I could take these pictures and I didn't even have my phone on me so I needed to figure out where it was in the room. After they weighed him, they wiped him off a little bit better than what they had already done on Rachel's chest and they went ahead and gave him a couple of vaccines and then they put the eye ointment on and he did really well with the shots. I expected him really, really to cry and just not have a good time with this, but to him, the thing that he cried the most about was just his leg being pinned down so that he actually could get this shot. The eye ointment was a totally different story. He was really not happy about it, and I was really surprised. As soon as she started putting this ointment on his eyes, he just reached up and grabbed her finger and pulled, and I just thought it was like the cutest thing ever, but he was not a huge fan of the ointment, but he got over it eventually. Earlier in the day, I remember Harrison and I kind of talking about how much we thought he was going to weigh. And I said something like, I think he's going to be the same size that I was when I was born. And he was almost exactly the same. He was the exact same length and a half ounce heavier than I was at birth. Which is definitely a good thing. We were talking with the OB and midwife while... Rachel was pushing and they were asking how big both of us were when we were little. 
And I was born five weeks early and weighed like eight and a half pounds. So we really didn't want Edison to be that big. (laughs) There's a lot of things that happen after birth that we didn't really know about or nobody talks about because it's just very messy. It's not cute. And you're so vulnerable during this time. And so... I had just gotten stitched up and I can hear the nurses over there with these buckets of my blood asking how much blood I lost. And they took out my catheter. They took out my epidural. They drained my bladder. All of these things are like just bizarre that I was not really expecting. I mean, they make sense, but it's just a weird time. Looking back at all of this, I kind of forgot that all of these things happened. It happened so quickly that the catheter was taken out, that the epidural was removed, and all these things that you just don't really know what's going on because there's so many other things to worry about. And you're in this room for about two hours after the delivery until they're going to move you to a different room. So they're checking a ton of things, and they're really just kind of tying up all the loose ends on the labor. I finally got to eat some food for the first time in a little over a day. But since it was past midnight, there was nothing open. There was no way Harrison was going to be able to get food. And so I literally had like four graham crackers and a little tin of apple juice. The food situation was definitely really rough. And Rachel was very concerned about whether she would be able to eat anything afterwards. And just because we delivered so late... It just didn't work out that there was any food. We did pack some snacks, and Rachel was able to eat some of those. It didn't last super long, but by the time it got to the point where Rachel would have been really, really hungry, we were just tired and needed to take a nap anyway. I was surprised at how fast the feeling came back into my legs after the whole process was over, because everyone says, like, oh, you get the epidural, and then you're just bound to your bed forever. And that wasn't the case for me. And I think it's because the epidural really started to wear off towards the end of my labor anyway. And so I started to feel like I could walk very shortly after we were moved to our postpartum room. Moving to the postpartum room was a little bit weird. They basically rolled in this cart, told us to put everything that was in the room that was ours on it. And then they just took it away and it just appeared in our other room. But they transferred Rachel from her bed that she was in into a wheelchair, and then they put Edison in this little cart that I got to push down the hallway. Rite of passage. (laughs) Yeah. When we walked in, we saw another couple doing this, and it was a very interesting moment to watch this couple go. We were like, oh, we're going to be in that place, you know, hopefully really, really soon. But... I wasn't really worried about pushing this car, but man, every single bump that you hit and you like, you see Edison's little reaction to it, you just feel bad. And I cannot imagine how these bumps felt for Rachel. (laughs) So to sum it all up, the experience in the labor and delivery room, yes, it was an induction. So it was very methodical and not so much the natural way, I guess. But overall, I think it was a really good experience. I'm very happy that he's safe and it was pretty uneventful for the most part. 
I was very happy with the labor and delivery room. We were happy with all of the nurses we had, everybody on the teams that was able to help us, and we were just very thankful for all of the people there. The best part of the labor and delivery room, though, was the midwife and OB from our practice, and I really think that that helped us like solidify the decision that we did pick a good practice. We're a little concerned going into it because we have seen so many different doctors throughout the pregnancy, but that actually turned out to be one of the best things because the midwife and the doctor that were on call to do the labor and delivery, we actually knew. So once we got into the postpartum area, things kind of took a turn and the rest of our stay was not as enjoyable. So right away, we got into our postpartum room and the nurse was kind of hounding me to just use the bathroom because I had had a catheter in for so long and they want to make sure that you're not having any kind of like urinary dysfunction or it's really hard for people to pee after they've had a catheter in for so long. We had probably been in the room for a grand total of 10 minutes before the nurse was like, we need to get you up and get you into the bathroom because it's time for you to go. And I can't imagine just how crazy that thought is of like, yeah, you've had this thing helping you go to the bathroom for the past 12 hours. And now because this nurse has decided that it's time for you to go to the bathroom, you're going to stand up for the very first time and just, you know, walk on over to the toilet and just do your thing. And this made me very angry for several reasons. One, I didn't even feel like I needed to use the bathroom. Like right before they transferred us, they drained my bladder. So I just didn't have the urge to go. And then this nurse was standing in the bathroom with me, which I had just had my whole bottom half exposed for the past however many hours. I don't really want to keep doing that. Like I'd like to have some privacy here and I am pee shy. So it just was not a good combination. We know that this nurse is just trying to do her job and these are things that she needs to make sure happens. And we also know that after you have a catheter removed, sometimes you just don't feel like you need to pee, especially because the epidural still could be keeping you a little bit numb. So in her eyes, she is doing her job and she's trying to avoid a potential mess in the future. And I guess that is good. But really, overall, standing in the bathroom, just waiting on Rachel to pee was not really the best. And then when Rachel pointed out that she is pee shy and kind of wanted a little bit of privacy, the nurse like left the room, but actually left the bathroom door open and just like stood at the computer and like typed away the entire time. And Basically, it didn't happen, and the nurse was pretty upset about this, but she came in every hour for the rest of her shift to try and make it happen again. So I was very happy when her shift was over and it was time for her to leave. (laughs) And then I had decided that I was going to pee after everyone had left the room and then called them in to see whatever they needed to see, which turned out to be absolutely nothing and then move on with my day. The nurses want to be present after you have had your baby for the first time you've peed to basically show you how to take care of everything and make sure that you're comfortable with going to the bathroom so that they don't have to watch you every other time. So Rachel went to the bathroom without any nurses helping her, and then we just called the nurse in, and they helped Rachel take care of it. And it was a very easy process once a nurse wasn't standing there. 
That morning we had our first like real meal. So we just ordered the hospital food and they delivered it to our room. And it was like an omelet or something. It was pretty good. And it was so nice to have like protein and real food. After we ate breakfast and had gotten a new nurse, the rest of this day was just a lot of checking in on Rachel and checking in on Edison. This hospital does their postpartum rounds every two hours. So every two hours, somebody would come in to check on Rachel, and every two hours, somebody would come in and check on Edison. Unfortunately, their timing is not great, so the two hours is not at the exact same time. It's every other time, so you still have somebody walking into your room at least every hour. We really were not getting any rest. We were completely exhausted, but... How could you possibly sleep when people are coming in your room all the time and then you also want to be looking at your baby and bonding with them? It's just a weird time. And everything during the day, other than the fact that we were getting interrupted constantly, was fine. We were expecting to be interrupted and we were just trying to roll with it as best as we could. During the day, we did have a pretty terrifying experience with Edison. So shortly after we had been trying to feed him, he had basically had his very first poop, but we did not know this. And then he just started coughing up all of this liquid, and it really looked like he was having a hard time breathing. They had told us when we got there that it's very common for babies to basically spit up all of this liquid that was in their lungs when they were in the womb because it's got to get out sometime. And they showed us like how to clean it up. But when it happened in the moment, we definitely freaked out. So I flipped Edison on his stomach, kind of held him up and was like patting on his back to get him to spit it out. And Rachel called the nurse in. And the nurse basically did the exact same thing and checked his diaper and he had pooped. We did not realize that that is a very common thing to have happen after your baby poops the very first time. Later that afternoon, we got to call our parents and kind of let them know how the events of the birth unfolded because after a while, Harrison kind of stopped sending the text updates. And so we just filled them in on what happened during that whole time. And then I got to take my first shower, which everyone says you're going to feel so good that first shower after birth. And it is true. (laughs) Every single person that came in was like, oh, just wait until you shower. It's the best shower of your entire life. And Rachel came out and she was just so full of energy afterwards. She was like, man, I just feel so great. And Harrison was adamant that he was not going to shower our entire stay and very quickly changed his mind after he saw how relieved I was. It's a long time to be in all of this stuff, and there's so many other things that are going on that there's just certain things you totally forget about. So even though when we were in the labor and delivery room, I was able to like brush my teeth and I like did my hair and all this stuff, I never ended up changing clothes. So after Rachel had taken a shower, I was like, I have been in these clothes for a very long time. Maybe I want to get clean and just changed. It was not as great a shower as Rachel was, but I felt better afterwards. During this whole time, we were trying to work on latching Edison and breastfeeding, but he was very sleepy and I was not producing very much. And so we were just kind of trying, but not really stressing out about it because 
Anytime we would mention it to the nurses, they would say, well, it's not really a big deal that he's not eating right now because his stomach is so small. The first nurse had told us that it's not a big deal that he wasn't eating and that he really didn't need food for the first 24 hours and that in an ideal world, he would get five milliliters. So we weren't super concerned about this, especially because during the day we had asked for a lactation consultant to come in and the lactation consultant was able to get Edison to latch for probably like 15 minutes. So we felt like he probably had gotten enough food especially because the lactation consultant kept telling Rachel, like, wow, you're doing very good for milk production because Rachel was leaking quite a bit. And so Edison had gone about 20 hours and had eaten probably 15 minutes the entire time. And everyone said that this was totally normal and he was totally fine. And then that night it was time for his 24-hour checkup. In the time they took him for his 24-hour checkup, we also got a new nurse. So they did all of the changeover and everything. And this is where a lot more of our troubles started to occur. Because when he came back, they didn't show us any like results from any of the test stuff that they had. But the nurse that was there that night just kept freaking out, saying that he is really, really jaundiced and that we need to change what we're doing for feeding him. And basically that... He's not getting enough food. And parents, this is so common to happen at the hospitals. They will pressure you to be feeding your baby more, blah, 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 because they don't want to deal with anything that's complicated. That's their job. They work at a hospital. They work in a high-risk environment. So don't let people scare you into thinking that your baby is in severe danger because they haven't eaten in the past 20 hours. Basically, if you're unfamiliar with jaundice, jaundice is measured by the amount of bilirubin that is in your body. So for a baby, they are typically born with a decent amount of bilirubin, which is basically broken red blood cells that your body needs to take care of. And so they're hoping that in that first 24 hours, your baby can get rid of a lot of that. And the way that the baby gets rid of this is by pooping it out. So for jaundice, one of the things they really want you to do is increase the amount that you're feeding because that will increase the amount that your baby poops, which gets that jaundice out. And it's definitely something to be concerned about. Jaundice has brain development issues if it's there long term. And so you don't want to like brush it off like it's no big deal, but also those take a very long time. So you don't need to go insane about freaking out about getting this fixed. The thing that I couldn't wrap my head around is that Edison was pooping. Every time someone came to check in on him, there was poop in his diaper. And so I don't understand why they felt like he wasn't pooping enough. We also were a little frustrated because this nurse was just freaking out about jaundice and she kept telling us that he is super jaundice and that things are just not going right. But when we would ask like, okay, so what are you going to do to treat it? She would just say, well, he's kind of like at the intermediate risk. So his levels would have to be higher before we'd start to treat it. And we know that those levels are set for a reason. So if it's not high enough that he needs to treat it, 
why are you coming in here every hour freaking out that he hasn't had as much to eat as you think he should have? And after she had told us about all this jaundice stuff, we did start supplementing with formula to try to get him to be eating even more. I also started to pump at this time and was getting a good amount of colostrum. And had we known right after he was born that he really should have been eating more than he was, then I could have started pumping sooner and we wouldn't have needed to supplement. But there was just this overall lack of information. And, you know, maybe that's on us because we were told that he didn't need to eat that much and we didn't really look into it any more than that. So Edison also has a few additional risk factors for jaundice, which could be why his levels were higher from the beginning. So if you have O blood or you have a negative blood type, that puts you at higher risk for jaundice when you're first born. If your baby is early term, that's also a risk factor. And another one is if your baby is born with any sort of bruising. And for Edison, he has every single one of those. So it's not unreasonable to think that his jaundice level was already starting really high, so it might take him a little bit longer for that level to go down. What was frustrating is the hospital kept taking him like every three hours to do an additional jaundice check, and no one was telling us that they wanted to do this. Someone would just walk in and say, hey, we're here to take Edison's jaundice levels. So they would just take him away, prick his heel, and then bring him back. And the entire time we were in the hospital, even though this nurse was freaking out about his jaundice levels, they never felt that it was high enough to treat it. So we just were frustrated about this extreme level of paranoia that they passed on to us about jaundice. There were so many things that the hospital staff was not telling us. So when Edison was taken to get his circumcision, apparently they gave him a bath, but we didn't find out until that evening shift change when our day nurse was giving the review to our night nurse in front of us. She said he was circumcised and they gave him his first bath. And Harrison and I were like, they did what? We don't really have any problem that he was given a bath, but if they had asked us whether he could be given a bath, we would have asked for them to do it in the room, which is a very common thing after you've had a baby, so that you can at least learn how they want you to sponge bath your baby because that is something that we have never had to do before. It's pretty common nowadays that pediatricians don't go to the hospital. Like whoever you're going to take your child to see in a regular doctor's office, they're not going to come to the hospital and do like a first evaluation. Anything that has to be done during your stay is going to be done by an on-staff pediatrician. And this on-staff pediatrician uh, did the circumcision, but then she also was the one ordering these jaundice tests. And we later found out that Edison has a heart murmur. And so she also ordered an echocardiogram for that. But this entire time, we had not seen this pediatrician. Really, this is where a lot of our issues lied, was that the pediatrician was ordering all of these things, but the communication was never reaching its way back to us. And we realized that the hospital has a lot of other things to go through. And yeah, if they had asked us whether they could do these tests, we most likely were going to say yes anyway. But it's a very frustrating position to be in as a new parent 
to have no idea what's happening in your child's life, and your child is just barely 24 hours old. What I think was most frustrating about this echocardiogram is that we were in the middle of a meeting with a lactation consultant to try to figure out a breastfeeding plan long-term. And these people just came in and said, well, we have to take Edison. We're like, could you maybe do it in like 20 minutes when we're finished with this? Like, no, we rushed cardiology over here from a different hospital to be able to do this exam. And we need to do it now. But nobody had bothered to tell Rachel and I that he even needed this test to be done. So by Sunday morning, we were completely fed up with the hospital and everything that had just happened through the past 36 hours or so. And we wanted to go home. It had been over 24 hours. I was cleared to leave, but because Edison had this jaundice situation, they wouldn't let him leave. They checked his jaundice level one more time, and they were actually telling us that if it was still high, they were possibly going to discharge Rachel, but keep Edison there so that they could continue to monitor his jaundice levels. And that was something that was really, really frustrating for us because we just weren't sure what all was going on, and we hadn't heard the results from the echocardiogram yet either. So we were just really, really frustrated. What I think is most interesting about this is that before we went to the hospital, if you had asked Rachel and I how we feel about like how long people stay in the hospital, we would have said it seems absolutely insane that if you have a vaginal delivery that you are discharged within 24 hours, like right after 24 hours. And that if you have a C-section, you're only there for three days. But at this point in our hospital stay, we were ready to get out of there no matter what. We just wanted to leave be on our own, and just start to figure out this by ourselves. So they finally allowed us to leave like in the afternoon on Sunday, and they made us swear up and down that we were going to call his pediatrician first thing in the morning to get checked for jaundice again because it is so bad, but not bad enough to be treated for it. As you can tell, just a little disclaimer in here, we're obviously still angry about this. This was only a month ago, and it was very... We say this word so many times, frustrating. I can't even wrap my mind around how this happened. And we're just so young. Like Harrison and I are very inexperienced in this and feel very taken advantage of. Whereas like this would not happen if we had another baby, like we would put our foot down. I think that one of the things that was most frustrating about it is that the hospital nurse was freaking out about all of these things. And it was just that second night nurse. We actually had the same day nurse the next day. And she wasn't as freaked out about this. Now, they still had to take Edison to do all of these tests, but she wasn't as concerned. And she actually worked with us to figure out how we could continue to treat this when we'd go home on our own. And she was really great and really spent a lot of time to like hear our concerns and just work things out with us. But everybody else freaking out about these things was frustrating. And then when we finally got to the pediatrician, the pediatrician like just tossed it off like it was nothing. It was like, eh, we'll keep seeing him for jaundice, but I think it's okay. And I don't really think he's going to need treatment and just ignored it. So if the pediatrician is not that concerned about it and then 
two of your other nurses that we saw didn't really seem to have a concern at all. Why did this other one have to absolutely freak out on us? And so our day nurse went over all of the postpartum things, like warning signs that I should be looking out for, or like postpartum preeclampsia or postpartum depression or anxiety. And then things for Edison, like that we would need to either come back to the hospital or like go to an urgent care to get him checked out. After the nurse had explained everything to us, we started to pack up all of our things. And packing up all of our things means everything that we brought to the hospital, but also there's a lot of stuff that the hospital gives you. There's also a lot of stuff from the hospital that we just took. We don't really know if we were supposed to take it or not, but in his little bassinet thing, there was like this top drawer that had a bunch of diapers, a bunch of formula, you know, all these things. If it was in that top drawer, it ended up in our suitcase or one of the bags that they gave us. And that's just what we did. Now, we didn't take all of the blankets that they had. We did take one or two, but we didn't take anything that it looked like they could continue to use. But the things that were like very specific to Edison, we definitely took them. Somehow a full-size hospital blanket also made it in there. And, you know, that's not really a big deal because a lot of this stuff, they're just going to have to get rid of it anyway. There's so many things that we learned from this hospital experience. But the biggest thing was stand up for yourself and stand up for your baby because obviously your baby can't really speak out about these things. And so you need to ask the questions. And we were. We were asking, why Why are you taking him for this test? Why didn't anybody tell us? And all they could say was, sorry, it was just a miscommunication. Sorry, nobody told you. One of the things that I found very frustrating is that we didn't see the pediatrician until about half an hour before we left. And so when someone would come to get Edison and you'd ask these questions, we're really frustrated about what's going on. And we want to know more about what's being done with Edison. But the person that's coming to get him doesn't necessarily know what's going on. They really are just there to take Edison to go do whatever test it is that they have ordered. And it's hard to not be frustrated with those people, but those people aren't really the problem. So there's no point in getting frustrated with them. And that's something that was difficult for us to remember. And what's unfortunate is they can't always answer the questions you have. So if we could do this over again, I think that when they started telling us about all these concerns, I would have specifically requested that the pediatrician come to our room so that we can discuss it with them. I don't care if it means I've got to leave the room and go talk to them. But if all of these tests are being ordered, we need to talk to the person that's actually ordering them so that we can understand what's happening with our kid. I'm still at the point where it's very hard for me to accept that that is what happened in the hospital and to Edison and to us. It's... I just don't understand. <laughs> like, obviously hindsight is twenty twenty, and you just, I feel so bad. I'm just kicking myself. Like, why was I not more educated? Why did I not research more or ask more questions or seem like I had more experience so that people didn't feel like they could take advantage of me? But at the same time, like, there's nothing more that Harrison or I could have done to prevent this. We're definitely frustrated with the later half of our hospital stay. And I think that 
if we were to do this process again, we would definitely pick another hospital. And we're fortunate enough to live in an area where we can do that. And it's actually very easy to do that. But that's not the case for everyone. And what I think is really unfortunate about the whole situation is that it might not even be that hospital that's the problem. We could have just been in a different room. If Edison was born like an hour later, we would have had a whole different set of nurses. And really, the nurses are what defined the experience for us. And the nighttime nurse that kind of you know blew things out of proportion for us was the thing that was really frustrating. And we don't understand how the communication chain works at the hospital, but there definitely is a miscommunication with... However, the pediatrician is ordering all these things gets to us. And so you could do it again at the exact same hospital and maybe have a way better experience. I think it's so important that you talk about these things and share your story because I was so uninformed about the postpartum experience. I had not heard of anyone else's experience past birth. Like you just... You watch all these birth vlogs, you hear other people's birth stories, and then after the baby's born, nobody wants to talk about all those terrible things that happened afterwards. But we need to be talking about them because it needs to be a better experience. Like you just went through something incredible. Like it should not be traumatic, but there's so many times where families leave just having this absolute disaster of an experience and then you spend the next bit of time your baby's first couple weeks of life just regretting everything that happened about middle of the day on sunday they did give us discharge papers so we were able to leave and this process was very straightforward they asked me to pull up the car so i pulled it up we put edison into the car seat and then the nurse helped walk us down and just sent us on our way and for me, that, like leaving the hospital, was very full of emotions for a huge variety of reasons. One of them is I was just glad to be out of the hospital. But the other thing is like, in my mind, is like that's where it really starts. You don't have anybody else to fall back on, and we just have to take care of Edison. And I was really nervous about it, but I also was really looking forward to just that opportunity to spend time with Edison, just Rachel and I, and know that at any minute, there's not going to be somebody walking in the door. Our labor and delivery experience, even though it had a real reason to be traumatic, was pretty good. But the rest of our postpartum stay was not so good, even though it had no reason to be so we're just counting our losses, learning our lessons, and becoming more educated and defensive when it comes to Edison. Next time, we're going to talk about our first week home with a newborn. Thanks for joining us. See you next time. Thanks.